Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado. Join with me, as always, is Carter Baines, beaverblitz.com beat writer. Carter, happy bye week. Have you uh, had, a, had a good week? Yeah, it's been a little bit more relaxing than, than usual. Been able to sleep in a little bit later, uh, work from home, you know, don't have to go to research or anything. But um, I, I miss the, the hustle and bustle of game week, though, a little bit. It is kind of nice to have a little bit of a break, but it's not like we're taking the week totally off. Yeah, not it's not a, a week totally off. In fact, you have been running an amazing series on Beaver Blitz, uh, the Laney Built series. And we've talked about um, your interview a few weeks ago with Coach uh, John Beam from Laney Community College. And these, this series has been spectacular. Have you had fun writing it? It's been a ton of fun. Yeah, that interview that, that I had with Coach Beam for about 20 minutes uh, prior to the game against Hawaii was, was really insightful. And um, it was fun to kind of pick his brain a little bit and, and learn more about these uh, these five Laney products that have transferred into Oregon State over the last couple of years. And uh, to kind of dive deeper into the connection between Laney and Oregon State, the coaches, and then uh, to kind of profile these players a little bit uh, has been a ton of fun. So and it's, if you uh, it was, it's, been a, it's been a very fun se- series to, to put together. If you haven't checked it out, I encourage you to head over to beaverblitz.com and, and check out the Laney Built series by Carter. It, it's been spectacular. So um, a lot of insight, not only on um, the, the current players, but also some of the past, like uh, Jordan Whitley. There's a, a good story on Jordan Whitley. So make sure to check that out. And we will actually be having a part of that John Beam interview here on the damn podcast in, in a little bit. So um, stay tuned for that as well. So bye week's an interesting week because, and, and I love that it falls exactly halfway in the, in the middle of the season. So no media availability this week for Carter. That's why he got to sleep in a little bit. And uh, the coaches are actually on the road recruiting. So this is um, when the entire coaching staff actually hits the road uh, to visit with 2022 and 2023 prospects, 24. I mean, you name it. They're at the high schools. They're talking to coaches. They're watching practices, doing some evaluation, and also kind of getting a behind the scenes of what these guys are all about um, to get that personal personal side as well. So um, that is what the coaches are doing. Um, they are all over their recruiting region. They, they go off by region. So you know, for example, Coach Mahalachek's up in the Seattle area. Um, Coach Smith is going to be all over and uh, we expect to have more insight um, you know, as, as this goes on. But that is what bye week means for the coaches. For Beaver Blitz, it means taking a, a little pause and looking back at the six games that we just had. Um, mid-season wrap-up, we've been in that mode for the past week along with the Laney Built series. Carter, I just want to pick your brain a little bit on, on this mid-season um, and talk to you a little bit about grades, kind of what you thought. So let's just start with offense. And we're going to, I always like to start with the positive. If you had to pick one offensive MVP for the first six games of the season, who would you pick? It's a little difficult, right? Because the, the offense has been so powerful over the first six weeks. But I think one player stands out, and that's B.J. Baylor, who's tied for the conference to lead with nine touchdowns. Um, he's I, I should pull up his stats here real quick while we're 
while we're talking. Uh, here they are. So he's carried the ball 99 times for 678 yards. That's an average of 6.8 per carry, which is, I mean, it's almost a first down every time he touches the ball on top of the fact that he's scored nine times. So uh, he's, he's Oregon state's leading scorer right now. And uh, it's, it's been kind of a breakout year for him considering now he's, he's finally getting an opportunity to, to take the lion's share of carries now that he's not behind a Artavis Pierce or Jamar Jefferson. Yeah. A great pick. I I'm, I'm going to kind of cheat with my MVP pick because I'm going to say the offensive line it goes hand in hand because BJ could not have the stats he's having without that line, but that line we knew going into the season that they would be a strength, but I think um, they've exceeded expectations, especially in run support, most improved on offense. Who do you, who do you have on for your most improved offensive player? This pick might seem a little questionable after the last two games, but I, th- I think Chance Nolan still fits the bill as the most improved player on this offense. I know his numbers have kind of, um, I don't want to say nosedive, but I mean, they've, they have taken a bit of a hit recently with those performances against Washington, Washington State, but the overall body of work, I mean, he's, he's thrown for over a thousand yards. He's got nine touchdowns through the air. And then he's also doing quite a bit with his legs as well. So uh, the accuracy improvement that we saw from him over his first three starts and in that Purdue game uh, on top of just his ability to move the ball with consistency, I I think he's really taken his game to a next level. And I expect that after this bye week, he's going to start to return to kind of the level that we saw from him before these games against the Washington schools. Um, If not, you know, maybe he's regressing back to the level that we saw last year, but the flashes that he's shown to this point um, and that three-week stretch lead me to, to give him the most improved award. I, so this is a question that people have posed on Beaver Blitz. I just want to, good pick. I, I actually had Tyjon Lindsay down as my most improved for the offense, but um, I, I want to go back to Chance. Is this the Chance Nolan that we saw during fall camp, early in fall camp, the past two games? Or do you think this is just their Washington and Washington State's defense is, is that good? Well, it's a little of both, right? So Washington's defense is easily a, t- a top three unit in the conference. I think uh, I know Washington's really struggling this year, but on an annual basis, that is a very, very strong defense. And they've got a tough secondary. They were getting a ton of pressure against Nolan in, in that game at Reese or two. And, you know, they really made his his job difficult. Um, Washington State, on the other hand, I, I think that was just a case of, of Nolan not being able to find a groove and, you know, maybe uh, was hesitant at times and I think maybe made some made the wrong decision with some of his throws. But the the performance that we've seen in those two games, what it does come back to is what we saw from him not only last year, um, but also over the first probably two and a half weeks of fall camp, where he was struggling to find a connection with his receivers. Uh, he would he would kind of re- revert to the run uh, when he when he faced pocket pressure, and some of those tendencies that he did show over his three starts last year showed up again during fall camp, uh, and that's what what we've seen the last two weeks. So I, I saw something, and it's a friend of ours that posted this. You probably saw it too. But it was a, a little analysis by a, a Beaver fan, and it and they said that something something to the effect that Chance Nolan has a higher ceiling 
in a lower basement than a Tristan Jebbia or a Sam Neuer. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's true. And the ceiling, we, we've seen it. You know, the ceiling is what he did against USC um, or, or maybe even, you know, in Idaho or, or Hawaii, if you if you think the the interceptions at USC are a knock. Um, that's the ceiling, you know, throwing for 75% completion rate, uh, 300 yards-ish per game and a couple of touchdowns. That's what you're going to get from him when he's on his game. But the basement, on the other hand, is the the seven of 16s that we've seen from him, you know, too many times, the, the sub 100 yards through the air, a couple of picks. It, it really is just kind of a, a tale of two Nolans, if you will. Like it's it's there's no middle ground from him. Um, we, we really haven't seen any middle ground. It has been just complete. It, it's been a polarity type thing with him. Um, so I think that's a fair I think that's a pretty fair statement. What has been the position of strength on the offense? Well, I'm going to go back to your pick for for MVP and go with the offensive line. I, I mean, everything on the offensive side of the ball starts with that group because it's the most experienced group in the conference. It's got four all-conference players. Uh, and you even saw this week when, when Jake Levengood went out, Marco Brewer came in and played pretty well too. So it's proving to have some depth as well. Uh, but what it's been able to do to open up lanes in the running game uh, and then also protect Chance Nolan too. I, I think both of those things have helped Oregon State's offense just kind of elevate itself to the next level. And the highlight so far was when they when when the group went down to USC and just absolutely dominated at the point of attack uh, in, in the Coliseum, gave up no tackles for loss for the first time in almost 30 years. Uh, that's really impressive. And that's a testament to this group's strength. And um, I, I think without question, it's the strength of this entire offense. Uh, yeah. And, and that USC game, you can say what you will about USC being down and maybe not having a head coach, but it's still USC. And there's a lot of talent there, a lot of NFL talent on that front seven. Um, a player or a position group on the offense that you expected more from? Tight ends, but particularly Luke Musgrave, just because of what we saw from him in fall camp. Uh, he was... I would say arguably one of the MVPs of fall camp, you know, he was making plays downfield. Uh, he showed some improvement in the blocking game and I, I didn't see him drop many passes at all throughout camp, but that's something that, that he showed last year was kind of, um, you know, maybe a point of improvement that he needed to work on was, was that sure handedness. And it's the, the drops have shown up again this year. And for, for all of the improvements he's made in the blocking game, which I think we have seen, you know, that's, I, I, we have to give him a ton of credit there. He's, he's improved dramatically as a block, as a blocker, but I really expected him to have a, a, a much greater impact as a receiver as he has to this point, uh, pulling up his numbers here. He has seven catches for 81 yards, no touchdowns uh, for, for somebody who came into Oregon state with this really high upside as a receiver. The fact that he has no touchdowns on his career is, is pretty striking to me. And, and I, and I think no, he's due. Yeah, I think he's due too. And, it, but what we don't know is, I mean, I don't think the stats show how many drops he's had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd be curious to see his seven catches compared to how many drops he has this year. And yeah, you know, I don't know how you fix that. I don't know if it's, if he's in his own head, I don't know if um, you know, he needs more reps and practice. I, I don't know how you fix that, but I think like 
if he can fix that part of his game, his ceiling still is so high just because of what kind of athleticism he brings to the field. And, um, and the fact that he could be a, a true two-way tight end with the blocking element now part of his repertoire. Um, if, if he could figure out the, the drops and, and how to fix that, I, I think he still has, you know, he still has plenty of eligibility left. He could very well turn out to be an incredible tight end by the time he's done. Yeah, I agree. And that's, that's exactly who my pick was as well for that, for that, because we did in fall camp, he, we expected him to be a big time, big time, uh, pass, pass catching tight end. And I agree. I mean, he did transform his body in the off season and his blocking has improved a ton, but I just need to see more catches. That's what we, we thought, um, that we would see, um, coaches grades. Now this might be another tale of two, two different halves, but, um, Offensive coaches grades. I don't know if you want to just give me an off, an off over the top, just across the board, or if you want to break them down per position group, but just start. I mean, what are your thoughts on the offensive coaching? Yeah, I'll just go across the board. And I, I penciled this one in as a B minus because I, I think the offensive coaching staff performed at an A level outside of really two games and two, two decisions in particular. First of all, uh, picking Sam Neuer as the starting quarterback at Purdue, I think in, in hindsight, you know, now that, that Chance Nolan has struggled a little bit, you can kind of see why maybe they, they went with Neuer. Uh, but at the time and, and over the first month of the season, people were really questioning, you know, how, how did this guy beat Chance Nolan, who's completing 75% of his passes and looks like, you know, potentially the best quarterback in the Pac-12. Um, so that question still, I, th I think even after Nolan has struggled a bit, it's, it's fair to bring that up and, and say, you know, what did Neuer exactly, what did they see in Neuer and, and how did they land on him uh, when you had Chance Nolan right there, right behind him? So, so that I, I think brings the grade down a little bit. And then the play calling at Washington State, you know, we, we can't, we can't ignore that. The, the way the running game was going, and we talked about this on the pod last week, you know, they were finding so much, so much success uh, on the ground for them to just totally abandon it at times. Uh, and they did the same thing against Washington as well, although they, they went back to the run at the end of the game. Uh, I, I think, obviously, you do want balance, uh, but you also have to go with what's working. And so that questionable play calling also brings down the, the grade a little bit, but Overall, I, I think there's those are really the only knocks against this coaching staff so far on the offensive side of the ball. So I think a B minus is, is pretty fair because outside of that, I, I would give them a, a firm A. Yeah, I, I agree. And that that play call. And so and we did not have media availability this week to talk to the coaches about that Washington State game. But uh, Carter and I will both be in Corvallis tomorrow, Monday, uh, to talk to Coach Smith and I don't know. Do you think Coach Smith thinks that we're all going to forget about the Washington State game after a week's time and just kind of move on? Or do, do you think he knows that the questions are coming? He'd probably hope that we forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the bye week kind of came at an opportune time for him, um, to, you know, to not have to field some of those questions. But um, speaking yeah, of media, media availability, I don't know if you saw what happened earlier in the week uh, with Oklahoma yeah. and a student yeah, run newspaper was in a public building with binoculars and then broke that uh, someone was taking snaps and uh, Lincoln Riley now just shut down the, the entire media. 
<laughs> What's your thought on that? Being a media person, you know, public building. What do you think? That's a, I don't know, that's a tricky one. If you're in a public building, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what I to know. make it, of that because, just, because Oregon State that. shuts us, because Oregon State shuts us out of practice too, but I wouldn't say I'm going to those great extents to see if if Addison Gums is practicing, you know, and maybe, maybe I should, but also <laughs> I, should. I, think, I think there is, you know, also an unethical question there. And I don't know, I, I think Lincoln Riley shutting all media availability down because of it is an overreaction. I'll say that much. I, I think, you know, the actions of, of one media member of a student, because I, I believe it was a student newspaper. Yeah, it was a student newspaper. Um, I, I don't think... I don't think he went, you know, I, I don't think this reporter went too far out of line to suggest that that Lincoln Riley should um, shut down availability for everybody. I, I think, you know, maybe you can bring that up with the reporter in question, but it, it seems almost petty to to lock everybody out because of that. It, it just seems like such a minor thing. Coaches are, I, I think it was the quarterback too, is what it was. I think yeah. uh, they saw that somebody else was taken and then the, but all credit to that student reporter because then he also got a hold of Spence, Spencer Rattler's dad and, and had some confirmation there. So um, I do know in our line of work, we, we do talk to sources, meaning high school coaches, parents. There's a lot of outside that I think sometimes college coaches forget that um, you know we actually do talk to. But anyway, I just total random. That's what you get in the damn podcast because it popped in my head. Um, okay, position group grades. Offense, sorry, that was a little random. That's why you love us in the damn podcast. Maybe not, but um, position grades for offense. Let's just start with quarterback. What do you got? Yeah, I'll keep it brief here so we can keep things moving because obviously we've got a lot of position groups, but uh, at quarterback, I'll go with a B. Uh, I could be talked into going a tiny bit lower just because of the last two weeks, but I think uh, what Chance Nolan did in his three starts uh, certainly outweighs the negative that we've seen from him recently because I, I do think that he is more like the quarterback we saw against uh, Idaho and and Hawaii and USC and even in that second half against Purdue so uh, in, in those those three and a half games he performed at an A almost A plus level uh, but then you know obviously that grade does have to come down a little bit after what he did the last two weeks okay how about O-line that's an easy one O-line's an A plus I, okay. I mean Maybe the one knock would be pass protection, but I think even then, um, that's kind of started to to figure itself out. And Chance Nolan's actually done a pretty good job of, of managing any pressure that he's seen. And then run blocking, obviously. There's, I, I honestly don't think it could be any better. Yeah, I don't either. It's it's been fantastic. And 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 to be fair, it's it's not like Chance has been under fire with the pass protection. It's you know he's had plenty of time. I I think the receivers have maybe struggled to get separation, but. Um, running back a little bit lower than the o-line just because i do think a lot of the running back success is attributed to the o-line uh, but it still has to be an a right like i mean bj baylor the, the number that the numbers that he's accumulated so far um, to be leading the pac-12 in touchdowns and to be right up there in rushing yards uh, that's pretty impressive and then you throw in deshaun fenwick too who we've seen really come on in the last couple of weeks as a power rusher He's taking advantage of, of what the offensive line is giving him. And so I'll give the running backs an A. Tight ends. This is, this is actually a pretty tricky one, I think, because of the lack of their presence in the receiving game. 
um, I, I, I have to, we kind of have to take two things into account with the tight ends and it's, you know, what they're doing as receivers, but also what they're doing in the blocking game and what they're doing in the blocking game is, is almost worthy of an A. I mean, what, what Tegan Quatoriano and Luke Musgrave have, have shown there is that they're really just an extension of the offensive line. And, and when the Beavers go in that two or three tight end set in the running game, it's absolutely unstoppable. And a lot of that is because of what the tight ends are doing. Uh, but the lack of their presence in the receiving game is, you know, that's part of their job too. And the drops are, are notable. And the fact that they haven't been able to get a ton of separation is also noticeable is also notable. So I'm going to give them a B uh, because I think they're still, you know, the overall body of work is still really good. Uh, what, what they've done in the blocking game outweighs a lot of the negatives that we've seen uh, in, in their receiving role. Yeah. I mean, they are tight ends for, you know, it would be nice to see them receiving maybe a little higher, but um, okay. Wide receivers. This is actually going to be the lowest grade on the offense for me. I'm going to go with a C here and that might seem a little low, but I think we've really seen this group struggle and that's something that we didn't expect, uh, especially after seeing how, how deep and talented and, and quick and sure handed this group was in fall camp. I think we really expected the passing game to take a step forward. Um, but, but it just hasn't, you know, and a lot of Chance Nolan's struggles recently have been because the wide receivers aren't getting themselves open. They're dropping passes. And uh, that certainly came back to bite Oregon State against Washington State. Those those drop passes, I mean, one of them turned into an interception. So, and it was down in the red zone. Uh, yeah. And so I'll, I'll give the receivers a C. I, I do think their potential is it's still sky high. Uh, but for whatever reason, they seem to be they seem to be underperforming a bit. And um, they're certainly they certainly don't look as good as they looked against Oregon State's own secondary in practice. Okay, so here's a question for you. And this I've seen this in the lodge, um, but I just want your take on it. Do you think the their lack of um, production is because they're rotating so heavily? It could be. I mean, it's always nice to have a you know kind of one of those go-to targets, an Isaiah Hodgins type. But the fact that this group is so deep and it has so many unique playmakers, um, I think a lot of that rotation is necessary because you have to find you have to find playing time for a Zariah Beeson who's incredibly strong and can get separation. Uh, but at the same time, like I mean, Treshawn Harrison is pretty much in you know he's kind of in a battle for playing time with with Beeson and Harrison is a deep threat, so you want him on the field. Um, it's there really are just so many different skill sets that it's hard to balance like who you want on the field at a given time. Uh, and some players are going to see playing time decrease because another player, you know, fits a certain play call or a, a formation. Uh, it really just depends on the play. Um, so I don't know that that's necessarily like a huge knock on the passing game, you know, that rotation there, but it, it could certainly, you know, tell part of the story just, the inability for certain guys to get into a rhythm or, or whatnot. Yeah, I just think it's interesting. And then you have, I mean, like Anthony Gould, he's made the most of when he's when he's in. So, okay, moving, we're going to switch gears now to the defense. Do you want to start with Grays or do you want to start with MVP? Uh, let's just go the same order that we did with okay. the offense. So let's okay. start with MVP. Let's go MVP. Who's your MVP halfway through the season on defense? Yeah, well, this one, quite frankly, isn't even close. It's it's Avery Roberts by a mile, uh, leading the Pac-12 in, ta in tackles with 62, 
five and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks, an interception, a pass breakup, two quarterback hurries, and a forced fumble. That is quite the line. Uh, and obviously, you, you know what you're going to get from Avery Roberts. You're going to get a sure, uh, a sure-handed tackler, somebody who can make an impact in the backfield and in coverage. Uh, he's he's living up to expectations, and really, you couldn't ask for more from Oregon State's MVP. And, and just, I, I have to totally agree with you, and just such a good field general. I mean, you know, as an inside linebacker, it's his job to kind of be the center of the of the defense, and he does a great job calling out plays and um, most improved on defense. I got my pick, but I don't know. You might be different than me. We, I was looking at the, at our rundown before we came on, and I said, this is actually a tricky one because I think there's two guys, and they're okay. both in the secondary. Okay. Uh, the, first one is, the first one is Rajon Wright, uh, who's leading the team in pass breakups with six. He's also got 25 tackles and a pick. So, I mean, he, he's making an impact downfield, but he's also improved his tackling a bit, I think, um, even from where he was at the beginning of the season. Um, and, and what he's been able to do in the backfield as well. He recorded a sack against Dylan Morris against Washington. I'm pretty sure he added a tackle for loss at Washington state as well. Forced that fumble at Washington state too, that went out of bounds. But um, the fact that he didn't even play really at all on the defensive side last year, he was mostly just kind of a special teams guy for him to step into the starting lineup and perform at this high of a level, really impressive. And it's a testament to, I, I think what he was able to gain from this full off season um, after, after not really having much in a, of an off season last year. Agree. Okay. So your other one, your other one's probably the same as mine. You, do you want to go with, let's, I'm let's hear who Julian. you yep, Julian. That's, that's who I had. Because I have been blown away and I was super critical last year of him. Um, I thought he shied away from tackles and I, I didn't see the, um, that mentality that he wanted to hit somebody. And we've seen that like a complete 180. I see aggressiveness. I see um, him really transforming into a safety and not maybe a more finesse cornerback. He is a true safety that's looking to make a hit. So that's my most improved. Yeah, he was, he was my other pick and he's currently third on the team in tackles, which is uh, something that I don't know that we would have expected at this point um, or really, I mean, going into the season. I, I don't think I would have predicted him as the, the leading tackler outside of the inside backers. Absolutely not. Um, position of strength, probably a pretty easy one too, actually, but. Yeah, it, it's, it's inside linebacker. And again, it's not really close. Uh, Roberts and Spates are one and two on the team and tackles right now. That's exactly what we expected from them. And they're filling up pretty much every statistical category that they possibly could. So um, they're doing their job and they're obviously a big reason why this defense is performing at the, the high level that it is a player that you expected more to, to see more from. Uh, there are two here as well. And the first one, I, I think we kind of have to say Addison gums, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we still, I don't know, this is a, a hot topic at Beaver Blitz and it will be until he sees the field, but. Or he's removed from number one on the depth chart. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. <laughs> Um, but you know, he was, he was healthy for most of fall camp and then he just kind of stopped practicing a little bit. And then, um, he was listed at number one on the depth chart going into week one, but then didn't even make the trip to Purdue. And so, I mean, when he's healthy, uh, we know how good he is. We know how good he was in fall camp when he was healthy too. I mean, he looked like the player we saw 
against Oklahoma State and Hawaii two years ago. Uh, so if you know if he can find the field, I have no doubt that he's going to perform at a high level. It's just a question of will he see the field this year and will he ever play for Oregon State again? I mean, we really don't know. Um, but then outside of him, Elijah Jones is a player that comes to mind. He's only played in two games this year after being a guy that I expected to potentially start at corner. Uh, Alex Austin has really come on, and I think the coaches are really high on his ability as a coverage corner. But Elijah Jones, I mean, this is a guy with experience. He's played against some of the most potent offenses in the country coming from Kansas. Uh, and he looked pretty solid in fall camp, too. So for him to only play in two games and, and not really get much playing time at all uh, is, is pretty surprising to me. Yeah, because during fall camp, it was it was really Jaden Robinson and Elijah Jones were kind of splitting time there. Um, and Jaden obviously has a, has a shoulder injury. But um, yeah, it, that's one. And I, I think he's been a little vocal, too, and wondering why he's not, especially at a at cornerback where you do rotate a little more heavily. I'm going to go with another one that I, I really was expecting to see him maybe break out and maybe, maybe it's another year. I mean, he did not play at all last year, but that's Tavis Shippen. Um, I think we've seen some flashes. He's flashed on tape a little bit, but um, I really thought that maybe he would be more of a um, impact player on the defensive front coaching grades. Okay. So you did an overview for the offensive coaches. What is your overview of the defensive coaches? I'm going with a C minus, uh, which is, it's obviously on the lower end, you know, it's below average. Um, this defense has made a ton of improvement, right? Like they're the number two rushing defense in the conference, which is incredible considering where this group was in that category, even last year. But I mean, really throughout the entire Jonathan Smith, Tim Tibisar era, been one of the worst rushing defenses in the country. The fact that they're, around 100 yards per game right now, um, second only to US or uh, UCLA, sorry. That's really impressive. Um, and then also just the improvement we've seen on the back end too. I, I think the secondary is really starting to break out a little bit. And a lot of that, I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the talent that Oregon State has at these positions and the depth is probably the main reason for that improvement. But a lot of that does come back to coaching. And so you have to give the coaches a lot of credit there for the improvement that we've seen across the board. At the same time, I, I still think that there's something wrong with this defensive scheme. I, I just don't think that it's it's tailored to, to Oregon State's talent and the personnel. Um, and we really saw that rear its head against, against Washington State when the Beavers just simply couldn't stop the Cougars when they went to that air raid attack in the second half. So the scheme itself and, and the lack of in-game adjustments and, and week-to-week adjustments uh, is a huge knock against against the coaching staff, I think. And it's a reason why I've got their grade at C-. How concerning is third down defense as well? Probably the most concerning element of this defense right now. And I wonder where, this is just, I wonder where that run defense would be if you took out some of that big, the big third downs, or at least limited some of that, but huge. I mean, that is an area we have not seen improvement at all. Um, okay. So let's go position group grades D line. I'll start you off with the defensive line. I'm going to go with C plus, which probably seems a little low considering I just threw out that stat with, uh, with Oregon state having the number two run defense in the, in the, the pack 12. Uh, but C plus I think is still probably fair for a group that I think, you know, nobody's going to argue that the talent there is 
the second best in the conference or anything. Um, a, a lot of the run defenses are credited with the linebacker, the linebackers playing at a high level too. Um, but yeah, I, I think the defensive line has made a ton of improvement. Don't get me wrong. I just think there's a long way to go still. Um, but I, I like to see them trending on that, that right path. Okay. How about linebackers? I'll go B plus. Um, the, the duo at inside linebacker is probably an A or A plus, but at outside backer, um, we've seen a lot of playmaking from Andre Hughes, Murray and Riley Sharp, but I just think that there's, it almost seems like there's a, a second level that they can kind of tap into. It seems like maybe they haven't reached their peak yet, uh, especially in, in the pass rush. The pass rush is improved from last year. It, it certainly is. And we've seen both Hughes, Murray and Sharp um, get into the backfield at a high rate, but it just seems like maybe they could unlock a, a kind of another level in their game. And so um, I'll go B plus across the board, but I do, I do think, you know, the, the linebacking group is, easily the the best group on this the defense and then how about dbs i've got them at a b minus uh definitely improved from last year and the year before i mean depth talent you name it athleticism this group's got a lot of playmakers and they're starting to intercept passes which is something that they really struggled to do over the last couple of years and i, I think that's kind of the ultimate measure of a defense the backfield right is their ability to to get into passing lanes uh record pass breakups and and turn their opponent over they've done that to a, a much higher extent um and so this grade at, at b minus is a lot higher than i would have had them at uh in recent years the knock against them of course is um their inability to stop the pass at times i, I think even with the improvements we've seen they have really struggled against some of those pass heavy offenses washington state usc come to mind even hawaii um there is you know you you don't want to see your defensive backfield give up 350 yards through the, the air um, even even if the rest of your defense is firing on all on all cylinders that's you know a, a lot of that comes back to the third down defense i think Right. What about special teams? I didn't throw that in the in the rundown, but what do you think special teams just overall? That one I'm going to have to think of on the fly because I didn't prep for that one, but maybe maybe like a B. I mean, special teams has really taken a huge step forward, I think, this year. Everett Hayes looks like one of the better kickers in the Pac-12, super consistent. We know that he's got a really powerful leg. Um, coverage team has been really good. I think in, in the past, we've seen Oregon State give up some big returns earns and some touchdowns on special teams and that really hasn't even been a concern um it seems like every time luke losher punts the ball it's either getting pinned inside the opponent's 10 or the coverage team's right there to wrap up the the returner and so uh, overall that group has been really good I, I think the only thing that they could improve in is returning um, themselves you know yeah trevon bradford could break a, a punt return or if champ flemings could you know take one back and at the kickoff um that group could potentially reach a status. I mean, it, it really is that much better this year. Any surprises? What are, what are the surprises that you've had that you've seen this first half? Maybe good, bad, indifferent. I mean, what, what surprised you? Defensive line improvement for sure. Um, the group was, I mean, I, I would say it's probably the weakest group on Oregon State's roster for the first three years of the Smith era. And um, there was good reason to be concerned about that group going into the season with Isaac Hodgins, 
uh, going down with that foot injury and, you know, missing what, what now is looking to be more than half of the season. Um, I think it was, you know, it was very fair to be concerned that that group might even regress this year. Um, so the fact that they have not only improved, but improved to the extent that they have um, to lead this, this rushing defense that's giving up about a hundred yards per game and to get the pressure that they have on the pocket, super impressive, especially considering the loss of Hodgins. Okay. What do you want to see now? Second half of the season, what, what would make you you know happy to see improved? Third down defense, hundred <laughs> percent. It, it, it just, it has to improve. Right. I mean, yeah. Eight for eight. Washington State was eight for eight on third down in the second half. That's, I mean, it literally doesn't get any worse than that, right? Like that is as bad as it gets. Um, And so if they improve in that category, they're going to hold a lot of teams to very few points just because of the improvement they've made in pretty much every other category. I mean, turnovers are up. Run defense is better. Pocket pressure is better. They just can't get off the field on third down. How about offensively? What do you want to see? More consistency, okay. more consistency from the passing game. And I think your point of, of balance will, will work itself out if you can get a more consistent passing attack. Although I say balance, but you know what? Against Washington State, we didn't, we didn't need to see any balance because they were able to run. I mean, Washington State could not stop them. And that's, I think, what makes that final drive Oregon State had so frustrating when they decided to abandon the run is it, it worked from the entire game why go away from it um so we're going to transition now i i really want our listeners to to take a listen here to your uh, interview with john bean such a great guy Um, i love listening to him kind of that old school coach reminds me of when i you know talking to coach erickson you know just the the stories so um sit back it's a it's a pretty quick interview 15 minutes or so with john bean head coach at laney community college and which was featured last season on last chance you Rajon is still, you know, fairly relatively new to the Oregon State program. And I think Oregon State fans have kind of gotten a chance to get to know him a little bit better as the season has progressed, um, you know, as we've gone through fall camp and everything. But um, the fact that he's still so new, is there anything that you think Beaver fans should know about him? Just, you know, maybe one or two things off the top of your head. You know, what what are they getting in a player and a person in Rajon Wright? You're going to get a guy that has a nose for the ball. He could be a difference maker, right? And that's a good and a bad thing, right? Because sometimes, you know, he trusts his instincts. He may may jump at something bad. Or they may, you know, the, some of the better coordinators may try to go after him, take advantage of his, his uh, aggressiveness in essence, right? You're going to hear a lot from him. You know, he's not afraid to tell you how good he is, right? But I think there's a piece of him that people don't understand is that how hard he, he's starting to learn to work. He's putting in the time now. You didn't see him in 20, right, like you did his brother because he didn't put in the time. And now he's putting in that time. I mean, <laughs> he's transformed his body since he left Laney. It's been unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been noticeable just seeing him make that progress. Um, I, I saw him really break out in spring camp um, just a few months ago, and I, I think he's really taken off and – seeing him jump into that starting role has been really exciting. Uh, there are also a couple of other Laney guys on, on Oregon state's roster. We've got yeah, Josh green, yeah, Marco, Marco Brewer. Yeah. Um, I, I guess let's just start with, with Marco. You know, he played a key role on your state championship team yeah, and he's starting tackle. 
yeah, he's kind of he's kind of etched out this uh, backup left tackle spot at Oregon State now. How excited should Oregon State fans be about the potential that he brings to this offensive line? I think Marco's a very athletic tackle. You know, the biggest knock when he first got to Oregon State to Corvallis was that he needed to get stronger and put on a little you know weight, and I think that's happening. Um, he's he's a technician, right? He's not a mauler yet. I mean, even with us, he definitely wasn't a mauler. When we won the state champ, number one team in the country, we had our left guard and left tackle. They were maulers, right? Marco was a technician, so um, and that's a good thing, right? You know, it's gonna it goes a lot further because you can't always maul people. <laughs> yeah, and then with Josh Green, I mean, so. He's he's kind of in this this one A one B punter role at Oregon State right now, and yeah. I guess I'm just curious how does a guy who went to high school in Australia end up at Laney College in Oakland, California? Yeah. You don't know we're like we're sister cities or something, sister countries. No, you know, here, here's the deal, right? Josh Green came to another a local JC to play basketball. And then it didn't work out. So he hits us up on an e like a random email to me. He goes, Hey coach, I'm in Australia. I'm over here playing basketball. I want to, I want to give him a shot playing football. Can we meet? Sure. He comes in and we kind of meet. So we're in a weight room. We got our spring, you know, conditioning going on. He goes in the weight room. I think he throws up close to 300 pounds on the bench squats. We time in about four or five and four. I go, shit. I don't know what he's never played football. He's played rugby. Well, maybe he can play, you know, is, can it be a linebacker? Can it be a running back? You know, can it be something? And then one day he just started kicking the ball around. And there were some Division One coaches around. They go, God, this guy can kick. You know, have you really watched him? I go, not really. Let me go watch. I go, he can kick. And we decided, hey, let's just turn him into a punter. And I have a, I have a friend that's our kicking coach that, you know, that's worked with me over the years. More of a, um, more of a kickoff, you know, place kicker type coach. And he just started working with Josh and, you know, got good. And then Josh decided to try to work with some of the other punt coach in the area. And just phenomenal, right? I mean, he never, he never played a game. Also, he's punting in the state championship. I mean, not in the state championship, but, you know, on, on Netflix in front of millions of people. That's an awesome story. And, I mean, I, you know, when he came to Oregon State, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm curious what this kid's path is going from – uh, you know, playing in Australia and then going to the JUCO route and then finally making it to the power five level. But that's, I mean, that's an incredible backstory. Um, I'll just throw a, a couple more quick questions at you before we get out of here. But uh, I, I see the the NFL jerseys behind you of your, your former players. Have you gotten your Nishan Wright Cowboys jersey yet? Uh, not yet, but it's, it's coming. He said, he said it's coming. So, you know, like I said, Hey, um, he came by actually, you know, they had that little break you know, before the last, after the last preseason game, before this one, they, they got a couple of days off. So he came back into town, him and his fiance showed up and he like, coach, I got it coming. It's going to be up there. I said, all right. So the ones you see behind me are the ones that I coached when I was at Skyline. And in our building right outside my office is a big thing. And we have a big lobby on, on the upstairs. I'm on the second floor. That's where I put the NFL guys that played here at Laney. So he gets to go, he gets a prominent spot right there. And his picture will go – let me see. Let me turn it up here so you can see it. So those are everybody that – you know, all the different guys. I got over 20 guys, I guess, or so that played in the NFL. So the pictures go up in here too. Gotcha. So you, okay. You got to have a place for everybody. You know, jerseys in one place. I didn't think about it when I had this building design, right? And uh, 
I had this great office as the AD and head coach, but I put all these windows in so I could see, right, which is great. So I can see, you know, what's going on outside. But then then you lose all this space to hang stuff, right? It's like, oh, snap, uh, you know. So do you want windows or do you want wall space? I think I'd still take windows. <laughs> yeah, and then you get all these super talented players coming through. And Yeah, I mean, who, who, who would have thought that you'd have 20-plus players playing in the NFL, right? I mean – Exactly. I think that's that's something a lot of junior colleges can't really uh, that's something that they can't really sell to recruits. No, not really. Not 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 in a, not the way we do it. Now, if you give scholarships and do all that other crap, you know, but, you know, we just take local kids. Right. These are all local yeah. kids. Yeah. Uh, with with regards to Nashawn, I guess, you know, Oregon State fans didn't really get to see him in last chance you because he was already on campus when that was being filmed. Uh, so we got more of the, the backstory on Rajon, but. Just what was Nashawn like, both as a player and a person, when he was at Laney? Everything that Ray is, Shawnee's not, right? Shawnee's, he, he's boastful, but nowhere near like Ray, right? Yeah. And so, and, and, and so Shawnee's the typical big brother, right? He made sure Ray was here every day. You know, you know, Ray didn't have a driver's license. So, you know, when they drove two hours, you know, you know, Shawnee did all the driving, right? Ray got to sleep. And so those are some things that Shani, you know, that did, but Ray needed to grow up and do on his own. Um, I think that because, and I say this, and I don't mean it in a derogatory way whatsoever, but Shani is a, uh, wasn't as gifted as a player as Ray was, right? Coming out of high school, I mean, Shani, people didn't know who Shani was necessarily, but everybody knew who Ray was, right? And so as a corner, now, Remember, Shawnee didn't play corner in high school. He was a receiver. So, you know, now he's got to play it. And he was able to, you know, pick it all up. So he's more of a student of, of what's going on. Um, but one of the things, because he's a receiver, he had, you know, pretty good, hand, good hands, good enough to pick balls and do well with it, right? But, but the difference is Ray has an uncanny ability to kind of see things and take chances for the right time, you know? kind of, uh, I guess, right way, to, so to speak, you know, if I use a pun. Uh, but I just think that they're, they're, they're just different players in a lot of ways. Um, you're going to get a guy in, in shiny that's going to be down to business, nowhere to be, do all the good things, bad, both competitive as hell. Both of them are competitive, right? They're not going to back down, right, from anybody. And whether it's, you know, a practice with, you know, uh, CC Lamb and, and uh, uh, Amari Cooper, you know, he's going to go get it. But it's just one of those things. I just they're, – they're definitely different people, but they're very similar in the sense they want to compete. They, they're not afraid to back down. It's just how they go about business. Yeah, you know, I, I was talking to Rajon about a week or two ago, and he mentioned that Nishan was, you know, just a lot more mellow than him. And I think that was uh, – that's become very apparent in the practices that I've seen uh, at Oregon State. And then – one more player I wanted to ask you about is Jordan Whitley, who, you know, he was another one of those state championship guys. And, you know, he's just, he's been through so much over the last couple of years dealing with the heart tumor. And, you know, now he's transferred to Michigan. Uh, how much contact have you had with him through all of this adversity that he's faced? So, you know, I'm pretty close with Whit. We, we, we do a lot of talking, but Whit disappears from me when, when there's adversity hits, right? You know what I mean? And so, you know, he'll go, he'll go black, you know, just blackout. And so during the time he was going to transfer, I'm calling him. We're having these pretty deep conversations about stuff. 
And, you know, basically I think it came down to, for him was like, Hey, new, let's start a new chapter, new, new, new tribe. And I'm like, cause to me, like I told him leaving Corvallis for uh, Ann Arbor or wherever he wanted to go, the problems don't change. It's still you. You need to figure out what's going on with you, right? Whether it's your health, mental, physical, or whatever, right? What do you want to do? But let me just say this, right? All the things that we see on the, that transpired in front of all of us, you, everybody, right? It's about football. And I get there's ups and downs. But what he did do at Corvallis was got a degree, right? At the end of the day, this is a kid that's come from the mud, come from shootings, people dying near right in front of him, right? The whole nine yards that you can see in any typical inner city movie or stereotype, he's gone through, but he has a college degree. That's what I'm proud of, right? And I can say that I had a big part of him getting a college degree. You know, the other stuff, you know, um, you know, Shani came back. He's got his degree. Ray's going to get his degree, right? Those are important things. Josh will get his degree. Mark will get his degree. That's what I worry about, right? Because now doors are open to help have let you have a better life, right? Whatever it is, right? Dior, you know, maybe, you won't, maybe that your kids will never have to sleep in a car, right? That you're going to have food. You're not going to – they can go to school without having to work at Wingstop to pay the bills, Right? Those are things that we need to realize as a society that we need to make sure that we take every person should have the opportunity to get an education, a great education with support. I spend more time on my, my life supporting young people than quote teaching them, right? In essence, our coaching, but that is part of the support. But, you know, it takes a lot of help to lift young men and young women up from the circumstances of their lives. And we don't do enough of it. That's great stuff. And I think that a lot of that was apparent um, throughout the last chance you series, just seeing the way that you helped guide these players and, and these people, because at the end of the day, you know, they are student athletes and they are, they are people off the field. And I think some people um, at times forget that. And I, I think the series really highlighted that. And I think, you know, the job that you and your staff and, and even your wife, you know, got, got some mention on the show, everything that you guys have done is, is commendable with getting these guys, um, you know, through college and getting them degrees. But before we head out, I, I wanted to ask you one more question. You know, this Oregon State and Laney connection has become really strong over the last, you know, probably three years or so ever since Jonathan Smith took over the head coaching job at Oregon State. How well have you gotten to know some of the coaches at Oregon state as they've, you know, really gotten this presence, uh, just recruiting some of your players. Well, you got to remember convince grew up. I knew him when he was a high school kid, right. He grew up with the guys I coached with. Right. I mean, I've known convince since, you know, his whole coaching career in essence. Right. I mean, you know, that's huge. Right. Um, Mahalachek, I've known Mahalachek, you know, from his times with, the, with Cal and the Raiders. Right. So there's, there's a long thing. Um, Bray, I don't know Bray very well, but I know his dad extremely well, right? And then, you know, when Jonathan got there, one of the guys, you know, Riles was there, right? Mike Riles and I go way back. You know, if I, I mean, I'm the guy that got him quiz in, in James Rogers. You know what I mean? Those are my guys. And so it's always been there. 
And one of the things I told Convince and, and Coach Smith, I said, I just want to keep, give you an idea. Back when I was at high school, I used to send a lot of my kids to the Ducks. And the Ducks used to win all the time. Now I'm sending all my kids to the Bees. And guess what? The Bees are winning. I'm just trying to tell you, I, I, if they play for me, they're winners. So keep that in mind. So I thought that was a kind of – they all started laughing. They, you know, they kind of started putting that together, right? <laughs> Your Ducks weren't winning until I started sending them a lot of boys. Hey, look it up. That's awesome. Well, I'll uh, I'll let you get back to your meetings and practice and whatever you've got going on today. Walking class. I got kids waiting. They're out there on the track waiting for me to go walk with them. (laughs) Appreciate appreciate you taking the time and uh, good luck this season down at Laney. Put something on my uh, my uh, social media. Give me some. I got to get going here. I get some numbers. Well, that that was so fun to listen to, Carter. Such a such a fun interview and. yeah, you can tell he absolutely loves players and, and helping players out. So thank you for bringing us that. And again, if you have not read read the Laney Built features that have run all week on Beaver Blitz, make sure you check them out. Um, it's, a, it's a series and it's well worth the read and more of a um, just it, feel good, feel good stories from Carter on that. Um, you know what we haven't done in a few few weeks is some damn questions. You want to you want to do some damn. Are you ready, Carter, for some damn questions? It really has been a while. I it think has. We've kind, of, we've kind of missed out on that the last couple of weeks. So, and, and that's on me. Um, and I apologize because Carter and I tape these on Sundays after games. And um, with my kiddos' baseball schedule and, and Carter's schedules, it's kind of work that we tape them earlier and then we miss out on time to post the questions. So, we have some good ones. Post it on Twitter. Um, so, if you have questions, either at Angie Machado1 or at Carter Baines. And then just try to throw the hashtag, hashtag damn questions. And we spell damn D-A-M questions. So um, hashtag those on Twitter if you have questions that you think of. And then obviously in the lodge, um, you guys know how to reach us there. But I'm going to start with, with Twitter because this was a, a pretty good one. Um, Joshua Calloway asks, would it be better to get a new offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator? Or do you try for both this offseason? Well, defensive coordinator for sure. I, I think you just you try to retain Brian Lindgren as long as you can because I think he's going to be a head coach at some level before too long. Um, the the problems on Oregon State's coaching staff are not at offensive coordinator. I can tell you that much. Um, defensively, you know, third down defense and and stopping the pass that all comes back to the scheme and. As long as Oregon State doesn't change up their scheme to start, you know, fixing these issues, I think I think it's fair to wonder if Oregon State needs to change things up at, at defensive coordinator. Yeah, it's been four years, and it's kind of like the same thing year in and year out. Um, let's see. Justin Sowers wants to know that with expectations rising quickly and the inevitable overreaction by fans for the results of an unexpected, maybe premature coming out party. How much do the Beavs fall off next year, given the changes to the depth chart with graduation and new arrivals? And I haven't even thought that far. I know, uh, me too. I'm like, oh, I haven't even thought that far. We really I, I've been just, season. been just kind of trying to enjoy the ride. Um, but it's, I mean, it, it is a fair question because Oregon State's going to lose a lot of players this year. I mean, there's a ton of seniors on this team. Um, it's It's been a veteran heavy roster over the last couple of years, really. Um, and with that extra, you know, year of eligibility that, that COVID brought, 
um, even more guys are going to be draft eligible, you name it. It, there could be a drop-off next year. I'm, I'm not going to lie. There could be just with the amount of players that are going to leave. I would expect Avery Roberts probably going to get a look uh, in the NFL. You know, Rajon Wright might might get some attention. I mean, these are big-time players on that defense, right? And then it's, it's questionable that they'll come back. The offensive line, of course, is going to have a ton of, of turnover. So, yeah, it's something to kind of pay attention to. But I think in the meantime, let's let's enjoy what Oregon State's putting together this year because it's been fun. Yeah, yeah. And frustrating. True. But I'd rather have frustrating than just always than not having the chance at all. Um, right. William I mean, Sh- there are stakes. There are stakes right now. And that's why a loss at Washington State is so frustrating. Yeah. You know, some, that's probably the most painful loss of the seven in a row or, or eight in a row or whatever it is now Oregon State's had against Washington State. And it's because for the first time, since that that last time Oregon State beat them, they're playing for something right now. Yeah, it wasn't just a, another game. So William Shulton wants to know how many games does Chance Nolan start of the remaining six, barring injuries? Probably six. Okay. I, I think he's the guy, um, and I think he will bounce back. It, it's funny because Chance Nolan was like, you, you look at Twitter and you, the, on the message boards and everybody thought after – you know, Purdue and then Hawaii and Idaho, everybody thought Chance Nolan was the heir apparent now a couple bad games and it's, they're ready to see someone else. It'll be interesting to see if, if Tristan Jebby is healthy, um, does he ever get a look, especially if Nolan continues to struggle? You could see that maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know if Sam Noyer will get a chance. If, if, if Tristan Jebby is healthy, I think he's probably next man up. Um, but if he's not, I guess you could potentially see Neuer if, if Nolan continues to struggle. But I, I don't think the likelihood of Nolan losing his starting spot is, is very high. Yeah. You know who the most popular player on the roster is, according to fans. It's always the backup, backup quarterback. Backup QB. Okay, Reeser Beef 23 in the lodge, and you kind of addressed this already, but who are the players who are most likely to leave and put their names in the NFL draft as early entries? I think you're right with yeah. Avery, Rajon, O'Lineman. Yeah, you could actually see Omar Spates, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's a true sophomore, but he had that third year. He is in his third year now with that extra year of eligibility. So he will be draft eligible. Um, I don't know if he'll leave, but he's he's kind of a borderline guy. I, I think what he would stand to earn from an additional year of college football really outweighs you know, maybe the sixth or seventh round pick that he might garner this year. I think it just, he, he could do so much to boost his value. Um, so he's, he's a guy to watch for sure. Rajon Wright is, is one that comes to mind. If he continues to play at a high level this year, he could kind of follow his, in his brother's footsteps and, and leave early, but Kipper, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Kipper, uh, Gray, I think, you know, yeah, Josh Gray as a, what is he? A, is he still a redshirt freshman? <laughs> I think so. I mean, he would probably be the first redshirt freshman to, to get drafted, right? I mean, just based off of the sheer you know shock value of having a, a freshman be eligible to to join the draft, I think um, yeah. that'd be pretty and impressive, remember, actually. And, and remember, he is actually kind of a year older because he was a gray shirt to begin with, so he's a little older than your typical redshirt freshman. Just something to keep an eye on. Hope they just stick around for a while longer, but you can't. Um, Matt Chiafoni in the lodge. He always has some good JUCO questions. He has a couple here. 
what position group might the staff target for JUCO players or transfers? And he, and he does point out, obviously, 60 linemen is a must. What do, what do you think they well, transfer? Is, right? <laughs> what do you think they, they hit the JUCOs? DBs. I say DBs. Yeah, defensive back for sure. And then I think actually as much depth as we give Oregon State's offensive line credit for and as good as it's been, um, if you do lose a bunch of guys to the draft and, and graduation, it's probably not a stretch to say Oregon State's going to need to get some help from the JUCO ranks there. I, I agree. Okay, if you had to say yes or no on the following people at OSU next year, Tibbs. Defensive coordinator, Tim Tibbasar, yes or no? Is he on the sidelines? No. Blue Adams? Yes. Brian Lindgren? Yes. Okay. See, I think Lindgren gets a look. Depends on what the offense does. If the offense continues to sputter like it has the past two weeks, then probably not. But um, if they put together some more games. I think, yeah, he's going to gain some interest. But I also think... Jonathan Smith and Scott Barnes recognize what he's been able to do. And I think they'll be willing to, you know, to, to boost his contract a bit, to, to compete with some of the outside sources that might be trying to poach him. Okay. What if you had, this one is not a question. This is just my own question. If you had your Scott Barnes and you have to keep one coach on staff and you have to bank, you know, back up the, the armored truck, who is it? Jim Mahalachek. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. What he brings. Probably in, in terms of, I mean, he, he checks all the boxes, right? Recruiting, um, just a talent development, leadership. I mean, he, he, he does it all. He's, yeah. he's probably the single most important position coach on this roster. To, and to assistant. Keep, and, yeah, I think, yeah. and I think Trent Bray is probably pretty close there. Um, but no, Mahalachek is the coaching MVP by far. And I agree with that because I also think Mahalachek brings that, maybe that veteran coaching acumen that a, a new head coach like Jonathan Smith could kind of rely on, bounce things off of. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And I agree with, with Trent Bray. There's been some talk about that. Um, you know, I, I know he wants to be a defensive coordinator. Um, I don't know, you know. But Trent, I think by far is one of the best recruiters on that defensive side of the ball. So, um, gosh, you think about it, he brought in Omar Avery. He was responsible for. I think he was Mascarenas. Mascarenas. Um, he also helped. I mean, granted, it was from from Lincoln, but Tyjon and, and Tristan Jebia on that side of the ball. So, um, he he's been very very solid on his recruiting. Um, let's see. Um, on the pod, this is still. Uh, M. Chiafoni. On the pod last week, Carter said Smith's decision to go for the fake punt was the worst of his gambles. What about the 2019 Washington State game with a bowl game on the line? Which one was worse? Oh, the fake punt, easily. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> because, yeah, at the very least, in 2019, they kept the offense on the field, right? You let um, you let Jake Luton make a play with his arm, right? And you give him a chance. And to his credit, I mean, they almost completed that pass to, to Quatoriano. This time around, you've got Luke Losher throwing to Skylar Thomas. I, I think just <laughs> it makes me know, laugh even, just thinking about it because it's just like what? Right, and I mean the situation's obviously different too. The first one in 2019—that's end of the game. If you convert the first down, you win the game. 
um, that's that's a, a risk I'm willing to take. Yeah, actually, more often. It, yeah, um, I think it's it's a very similar call to, you know, if if you tie the game with a touchdown and a, an extra point, but you decide to go for two and win it, it's a very similar play call there. And a lot of times, I think on the road in a, a situation like that where so much is on the line. Uh, you want to win the game yourself and not give your opponent a chance. So I was actually okay with them going for it in, in 2019, but this fake punt, I mean, easily hands down worst play call I have seen in the last three and a half years. I, I was texting with a, with a Beaver fan on Monday and, and he actually thought it was the, a fake, the fake punt was from Losher to Beeson. And I said, no, 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 no. That was a freshman db and he goes no and i went back and i took a screenshot of the play and he was like oh no oh wow that just sent me back <laughs> that sent me back spiraling yeah not not the best play call okay um let's see Druzy 10 do you think gould will be starting by the end of the year that's a tough one because i think just the rotation that you're going to see in the starting lineup at that position uh he, he could very well start a game at, at some point this year, but it might not necessarily mean that he's seeing, you know, 40 snaps. Um, it's, it's a product of whatever play call they decide to go with on the opening play of the game. And that's why you've seen guys like Treshawn Harrison get in the starting lineup and, and not necessarily play a ton throughout the game. Uh, Tyjon Lindsay has been in a similar situation as well. Uh, so Gould, I think, you know, depending on the package they go with, he could certainly start, but I don't know if he's going to necessarily jump guys like Lindsay or Beeson um, in, in terms of snap count. Drewsy also has a good one. We kind of talked about the tight ends, um, but he has a one um, defense. You blame it on scheme, but it, the struggles with defense, you blame it on scheme, personnel, lack of depth, or do you think it's been competent enough. And do you think Tibbs will finally decide to line DBs closer than seven yards off the ball? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is scheme because talent wise, this is the most talented defense they've had. Um, it's also the deepest they've had. So, yeah, I mean, the playmaker, the play, the players are making plays. Um, I just, I, I think this is, you know, kind of a, a line that I've gone to playmakers are executing. They're just executing the wrong scheme. Um, and that's, that is the main issue on this defense. And part of that is, you know, lining defensive backs seven, eight yards off the wide receiver on a, on a third and short. I mean, just why, like, like why yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. that's all I can, that's all I can say. Why, why would you do that? Yeah. And the zone. Yeah. It's not working. It is not working at all. Especially when, when Washington state would go five, five wideouts, not, not the thing to do. Gosh, there's so many good questions here. So, you know, we're going to go, we're going to keep going a little bit here, Carter, because there's a couple more good ones. Um, so longer pod than normal, but you know what? So you've got me kind of looking at podcasts now. And I, I didn't realize, I mean, like Joe Rogan, I just downloaded a joke. It's like, they're like three hours long. I don't know. That's going to take me a week to get through that one. But um, so our little, little over an hour today. So um, they're, they're too good here not to, to ask you. So uh, Connor King, 2013 has a couple here. He said, if Tibbs, so he asked first about the odds of Tibbs being here, which we've already kind of talked about. Follow-up, if Tibbs is fired or let go after the season, who do you want to see as the next DC at Oregon State? Bray, Coach Bray, or someone from another school with a proven track record? Yeah, you go with Trent Bray, and simply because I think we just touched on this, you know, he's a coach that you want to keep on staff as long as possible. Um, 
And with with all due respect to, to Coach Tibisar, could Bray really be? I mean, this is this is going to sound really. This <laughs> is going to sound really say. hard. Sure. It's going to be hard. You know what I'm going to say. I know what you're going to say. Gonna sound really bad. <laughs> but could he be any worse? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a fair question, right? It like, is. Is. could Bray could Bray really be much worse than Tibbs? Like, I, I don't think so. <laughs> Sorry, 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 Tim Tibisar and family and friends, if you're listening, um, <laughs> that there was really no way to make that sound positive. But, no, no. But I think it's so, a fair point, right? Like, am I right? No, no, you are. You're so right. And I feel bad laughing. Um, like I said, it's it's just kind of, it doesn't it feel sometimes like you're watching like Groundhog Day over mm-hmm. and over and over again, but the players have gotten better. And so that's, this is by no means, a t- a anything a bash against players this is 100 percent scheme and to be honest tim tibisar makes good money to to get some crit- criticism because if i was making what five six hundred thousand seven hundred thousand a year i guess you know all all bets would be off the table too so but i'm not so that's why you can't bash me heavy but just kidding um okay but what about so dream world though carter okay so this this is one just to think about what happens at the end of the season if Cal like implodes and somehow Wilcox is available? I like Things that. Make scenario. you stop and say, "Hmm." Well, would, I would like you... that scenario because it probably means Oregon State beat them on the road, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it also means that Justin Justin Wilcox, who is one of the best defensive minds in the Pac-12, I would probably be available because actually, but before the season. I, I think we even talked about this. I said, you know, if, if Cal doesn't live up to expectations, I don't think Justin Wilcox keeps his job. And if that's the case, I don't necessarily know that he's getting a, a look at head coach anywhere unless he wanted to coach at like a Sun Belt school or something like that. Um, I, I think he'd probably want to stay at the highest level possible. And that probably means taking a DC job somewhere. And so if Oregon State is vacant and Justin Wilcox is looking for a job, heck yeah. I mean, bring him to Corvallis and, and see what he can do in that position. And um, quite frankly, I, I think he would elevate this defense to a level that it's it's certainly not going to get to uh, with the coaching staff that that's on campus right now. Yeah. And, and so then another little tidbit there that would be intriguing. Again, so this is all this is these are all the fun scenarios that you think about is former Oregon State DB and was at SC, Oregon, Washington. He's been all over the Pac-12, but probably one of the best recruiters in the conference. Keith Hayward is now a linebacker coach at Cal. So that would probably mean he doesn't keep his job. Can you imagine like Trent Bray, Keith Hayward, both recruiting at their alma mater? Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up for that. I mean, I that just, would be a star-studded defensive coaching staff. I mean, I don't like to get too into the, you know, former Beaver players, you know. I mean, I think there's a, a story there, and I think they can sell the university better than a lot of other people. But to have – I mean, both those guys would be like top recruiters. Yeah. I mean, a lot of dominoes would have to fall there. Obviously, you know, you need Cal to keep losing. You need them to fire their staff. <laughs> um, you need you need Tim Tibisar to leave. You potentially need Blue Adams to leave. But I mean, no, I mean, it's it's certainly possible. Like if those things happen, they're going to be at the top of the candidate list. Yeah. You know, they're probably going to get interviews. You know, fans are going to be pushing for them. Uh, you know Jonathan Smith is probably going to be reaching out to him. Yeah, I mean, you know Jonathan Smith has a short list right now of 
what he would do and, and some people he'd want to at least talk to. But anyway, those are the things, you know, that fans do and they think about and they talk about. Um, Mr. Mr. G. Gray has a good, a good question here. Based off your observations in Paul Camp, what players do you feel, what, what players did you feel would contribute more than they have at this point? Well, we kind of already touched on this, right? I, I think Luke Musgrave is the Musgrave. one that, that stands out the most. Um, just what, what I saw from him in fall camp was a guy who had the potential to take over this offense and be probably one of the best players on this team. Um, that's, I mean, that sounds like a bold statement, but it's only a bold statement because of what we've seen from him in the regular season. Because uh, that's that's actually what I thought he, his potential was in fall camp. Like that is how good he looked. Um, and so that's why I think he's been one of the more, um, one of the biggest question marks so far is, you know, why isn't Musgrave living up to what I saw from him in August? Yeah, I think, yeah. And, and you mentioned earlier, you know, Elijah Jones and some of those, but I do, I think Musgrave's the biggest question mark because I too, I thought he was going to be huge, huge in the, in the receiving game. Um, what in blue hell OSU who actually does make the best gifs of anything, anybody I've seen, um, as insiders into OSU athletics, are there red flags or a moment of, quote, wow, they're finally getting it now that we are two months into the fall season? Does not necessarily have to be football related either. Anything that you're like, dude, Scott Barnes and his team, they get it. I think you might be more, more well-equipped to answer this question, but um, I will say I you know, had some conversations with, with Scott Barnes, um, talked to him when when the Pac-12 commissioner George Klyovkov was on campus, um, talked to him briefly after the USC game as well. And um, I, I think he, he, he definitely does see the trajectory of this program. And he's saying, um, you know, I, I think things are on the right track and he's recognizing what's working. Um, things are, you know, I think his, his decision to bring in Jonathan Smith is starting to look a little bit better now. Um, and it's good to see, but if, if you want to answer some of that question. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think, I don't know if there's anything just in the past two months. I, I think, I think my biggest criticism of the department over the past, you know, several months has just been the fact that ticket prices are so high. This has been a discussion we've had in the lodge. Now, to be fair, they've run a couple flash promos for the the Washington game and I believe the Hawaii game, um, or Utah. I guess it was Utah. Anyway, that and now they have a three pack, and I haven't looked those up. My issue with that, though, still is there's still a ton of seats to be had in the stadium. And, you know, when you look at a ticket, a sideline ticket that's $90, that's, I mean, you can go on the secondary market, but you really don't want people to go on the secondary market. You want them to buy from you, even if it's at a reduced cost day before the game or two days before the game. And, and think about the families. And so when I, I remember looking at those, their promos, their flash promos, the 45% off after the USC win, um, and those tickets were, there were, very limited numbers in sections nine and 16. So old side, very far ends. I don't know. I, I just think, you know, when you're looking at $90 tickets for some pretty not very good seats um, and then what it made them still 50 some plus the convenience fee, you're still looking over $200 to bring a family of four to a game. Um, I, I get it. And entertainment is, is expensive and I, and I don't want to downplay that, but when you have a half empty stadium or a, a third of your seats are still available. I, I just think that is where you, you know, take away that third, third party market and go ahead and market your seats at, at some of a discount. I, I get it too. You can't, 
devalue the seats so much that your season ticket holders don't want to buy. But I, I know it's a tricky thing, but I, I would just like to see them do more. And I think they're trying. Like I said, I know they have a, a repack now for the remaining three home games to um, get tickets out. But um, other than that, though, I, I've seen a lot of criticism of Scott Barnes directed, you know, people asking me questions on Twitter and, and social media um, about some of his hires, you know, the Mitch Canham hire, Jonathan Smith, they feel that he's sticking too much to the, the recipe of hiring alumni. I think Mitch Canham is too, maybe too early to, to kind of judge. Um, I think Jonathan Smith is, is starting to, to show what, you know, what he's building. Scott Ruick is, is one that already has kind of proven that that alumni model works. And I, I think you go no further than, than the surprise and the upswing with men's basketball from a year ago. And um, there's so much, I think that everything, you know, money is all through men's basketball and football. And I get that, but you look at so many of the other things that are going well at Oregon State right now, women's soccer, men's soccer, um, gymnastics, women's basketball, men's basketball. Um, there's a cross countries rate rated ranked in the top 25. Um, so yeah, are there still some down programs? Yes. But when you look as a whole at one of the poorest athletic departments in the conference, and they're still competing at a pretty high level. I think that there's some things going right. Couldn't have so, said it better myself. That, that's what I got. So like I said, is it, is it perfect? No, but like I said, to see some of the, and I get it, like, you know, even Beaverwood, we don't cover all those sports, but um, we do put press releases out from time to time. And you know, when you see soccer knocking off Stanford and you see, um, you know, both men's and women's are doing, are, are right there, baseball, obviously. So I just think you gotta, you know, kind of remember who you are and uh, keep keep us uh, striving for more. And, and I think that goes with the fans too. I think fans need to demand more from, from both the department and uh, the programs. That's the one thing I think SEC maybe gets a little right. Maybe, maybe overboard in their diehardness, I guess, in the, their expectations. But in, in some level, it, it's fun to see a, a fan base that actually has expectations. So maybe meld the two a little bit. Pac-12 and SEC need to kind of come together in a middle ground there as far as expectations go. But I think that is it. Carter, we are done with bye week though. So you know what that means? It's Utah week starting tomorrow. And the Bees will be hosting Utah, 4.30 kickoff at Research Stadium on Saturday. Stick with Beaver Blitz all week for all the previews as the Beavers get ready to take on the Utes. I'm Angie Machado. He's Carter Baines, and we'll be back next week for another episode of the Damn Podcast.